Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, Cleveland, and welcome back once again to another edition of the Dogland Podcast brought to you by Dogs by Nature, SB Nation, and Vox Media. I am your host, Jackson McCurry. Uh, no Anthony Jokey again. He's feeling a little under the weather, but do have a special guest on the podcast tonight. Uh, he is one of the talented members over at the OBR. He also hosts All Eyes on Cleveland, which is a Blue Wire podcast. It is none other than Brad Ward, which you guys can follow him on Twitter at Ward on Sports. Brad, what's going on, man? Welcome back to the podcast. Jackson, what's up, my guy? Uh, I am happy to be here. Excited to talk with you tonight. And uh, thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, thank you for coming on once again. I, I know we both have a mutual respect for one another. I know we both look out for each other in the Browns podcast universe. Uh, I'm always wanting to promote your work. I think I think you do a fantastic job. Listen to the podcast all the time. And I also love your work over at the OBR, which you are part of a talented staff over there. And I always appreciate the time uh, you have you have for me, man. I appreciate it, man. Yes, mutual respect for sure. Uh, about your work and uh, happy to come on anytime. So I appreciate the kind words, Jackson. Thanks, man. Same to you. And, you know, Brad, it was perfect timing because on Tuesday, uh, I think we all got the surprising news that the Cleveland Browns fired Mike Prefer as special teams coordinator. The timing of it was so strange because we're within a week of the combine. We kind of thought that Prefer was going to be safe. I even discussed it last week on the podcast when Jared Mueller was on. We all kind of thought like Prefer is going to be the guy at least through 2023. And then boom, Justina Anderson drops the bomb on us early Tuesday morning. Uh, what was your reaction? Because I know you weren't the biggest Prefer fan during the season. I think we were all kind of hoping he would be shown the door the same time Joe Woods did, but he, he, he held on for another six weeks or so, but now he's officially out the door. Yeah, timing really strange. Now, you know, everything in the NFL timing-wise, staff-wise, is kind of pushed back uh, because of, of the Cardinals and the Colts, right? Waiting to hire their uh, their head coaches from the Eagles. So, uh, Super Bowl, we're into February here. And then, you know, I thought he was safe at this point for sure. I thought they would have, if they were in a fire, I thought they would have done it in one foul swoop with Joe Woods. Uh, despite what he said in his pressers, Kevin did, you know, we're going to continue to evaluate. I think a lot of the timing has to it is really, you know, I've seen some people with, you know, conspiracy theories and this thought and that, that I think it's as simple as, Hey, there's an upgrade available in Bubba Ventron. And, uh, I think we should try to get that upgrade. Like, uh, he's a, would be a valued addition to the staff because, you know, not only uh, has he had, you know, for the last five years in the top five special teams, uh, one of the but he's a rising star in the league. People think highly of him as a coach. Uh, and when he gets his hands on as a special teams coach, he's going to get his hands on your entire 
roster or, or a lot of your roster at times. So if you can get him in the building, um, then that's fantastic. So when, when they saw that they could do better than Prefer, which personally I think he should have been fired anyways because we've seen four years of subpar, in my opinion, uh, at times, uh, special teams. But we know he has a close relationship with Stefanski, and Stefanski has struggled with that, right, as being in the head coach. But it was good to see that he is able to make this move uh, as well as the Joe Woods move. He's proved things to me there, right, going away from friendships, uh, and, you know. And he, he should be because his neck's on the line now, right? You know, he has to win uh, this year or else it's going to be him, uh, that's see, shown the door. So you've got to make these kind of decisions. So I think that probably back channel wise, they feel like Ventrone is probably take job or for whatever reason, he feels like, uh, you know, the path to where he wants to get to or the money or something is better in Cleveland and they have an edge there. I also think he feels a little bit slighted uh, that he was passed over for the interim job in Indy, right, to give to Jeff Saturday, uh, which is a little ridiculous when you realize that he's on the roster, that they're not on the roster on their coaching staff there, right? So um, I think that the timing really is none other than, hey, this guy, maybe they were just hanging on to Preef long enough to be able to say, there's a clear upgrade here and it's time to make a move. So I think it's simple as that Jackson, to be honest. Yeah. I, I feel like it too. Like initially I was like, this is just weird timing. Like what happened, what happened behind the scenes to make them finally make this move. But it all makes sense. Like you said, like the Cardinals and the Colts were the last two teams without a head coach. And then quickly after the Super Bowl, they made their decisions. The Colts going with Steichen, the Cardinals going with Gannon. So the floodgates open for teams to be able to fill out their staffs. And you were right. I think this was perfect timing for the Browns. They had some inkling, whether it was through backdoor communications that, you know, Ventrone was going to be available. He was open to coming to Cleveland where he spent a lot of time during his playing career. Um, and, you know, the opportunities there for him to take over a special teams unit, which I agree was not the greatest during pre first time. I, I, I talked about this with Jared last week. I think one of the big factors was the fact that Andrew Barry churns the bottom of the roster and you had to get new personnel a lot. Obviously injuries played a role in that as well. But I think at the same time, like prefer wasn't doing enough to elevate that room. You've seen Cade York struggle. The return game, I think took a step forward this past year with people's Jones and Ford. But at the same time, I just don't think prefer did enough to vindicate a fifth season as a special teams coach. Um, and I think that's why the move was made as far as Bubba Ventrone goes. I mean, by all accounts, he's the leader in the clubhouse before we hit the record button on Wednesday night, Mary Kay Cabot of cleveland.com reports that it could be as early as Thursday. So by the time this podcast drops, Bubba Ventrone could be the new special teams coordinator. I think we all ex uh, expect that at this point, they did interview Jets assistant special teams coach Leon Washington, Giants um, special teams assistant coach Anthony Blevins. Um, but it, it seems as though it's going to be Bubba Ventrone, and it is a clear-cut upgrade. Like you mentioned, Brad, four out of the last five years, he's been a top-five special teams unit that he's coached in Indianapolis. Uh, 
former player knows what special teams is because Ventrone shined as a special teams player here and in San Francisco throughout the bulk of his uh, lengthy NFL career. And then he has coached special teams in New England and Indy. So I think this is a right fit. And it's another solid hire by Kevin Stefanski who needed to uh, overhaul his coaching staff in some in some areas this offseason. And he's done that with Jim Schwartz coming in as defensive coordinator and what's expected to be Bubba Ventron as the special teams coordinator. Yeah, it was kind of driving me nuts, to be honest, Jackson. The, this whole coaching uh, thing was, was driving me crazy because it was like Schwartz happened so fast, like done in a week. Bing, bang, boom. Don't wait for Flores. I totally agree, right? Like, makes sense. Get the guy that, uh, like, Schwartz's demeanor just fits the Brown, what the Browns need. They need a little ass kicking on, on that side of the ball. You know, the defense very much uh, finger pointing and uh, there's a, you know, a partying uh, mentality, like, that those guys are kind of into the nightlife over on that side of the ball and some discipline uh, definitely needed to come. And Joe Woods is just so similar to Stefanski and their demeanor that I, I think that um, Schwartz is the appropriate hire there. And then hear nothing, right? Like I expected a full overhaul on that side of the ball, right? Like, um, and I think it was Jared that told me like, hey, man, they they might want to keep Jeff Howard. They might want to keep uh, and I, that one blew. I almost fell out of my chair when I heard that. And they went, "Might going to keep Jeff Howard?" But uh, you know, but they might want to keep Tarver, which makes a little more sense. And I understand all that, right? Like, if you think you have a rising star on the defensive side of the ball and you want to keep them, or at least say, "Hey, you know, Jim, interview these guys first before you bring in your own guys or whatever." But you know, for me, there's a reason why. Uh, when you hire a guy uh, as a coordinator, most of the time they clean house. And that's because, like, listen, these guys have been the guys that are lingering on the Browns defensive staff have been there for three years. Like, I want fresh slate for these guys. Like, I don't want them to be like halfway through the season and some adversity comes up or, 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 right, adversity strikes just is going to, right. And, uh, some uh, old argument or uh, dirty laundry gets unearthed between a coach and a player from two years ago. Like that's part of starting a new with a new coach and a new staff. Like, I don't want any of that stuff lingering around. And as far as I'm concerned, like the uh, lack of uh, discipline and lack of accountability on that side of the ball, I think it will change with Schwartz, but I, I would think that you would want to streamline as well the process with guys that know the language that Schwartz uses on his defense, you know, know the verbiage that he's going to use, you know, uh, out on the field, know how how he wants to teach the scheme. All those things, I think, make it a a streamlined process. And the game change is not huge, right? Still a 4-3 a lot of things are actually pretty similar um, to Joe Woods did, right? Like, it's not going to be a ton of blitzing. They're going to try to get home with four. Like, that stuff is key here. Um, I think some the the coverages will change a little in the secondary, but I don't. it's not like a massive overhaul scheme-wise. It's more about, like, doing it his way, right? And, uh, like, one of the things that Joe Woods failed to do 
does define roles for these guys very well. I think he, and I think that Schwartz will do a very good job of like, Hey, like he's really good at this. Let's, you know, and he's play 600 snaps. Let's make sure those 600 snaps are dedicated to the thing he's really good at. Right. Instead of like asking Perry on Winfrey, you know, good at everything on the field, which he's not going to be right. Like he's good at certain things. Uh, and, and that's like Belichick was always good at, right? You just find one thing that you're really good at, do your job, play your role. I think that Schwartz will provide that for defense, and I think it'll make a big difference. But they certainly need a kick in the ass. So I was really happy about the hire, but then we just lingering with the staff here, and it's kind of bothered me. We're kind of getting some movement now. I was hoping to see a full overhaul. I don't know if that'll happen. Um, but, uh, it's really strange. And, and then now you get the, <laughs> the special teams brief is out happy about that. Prove some things to me about Stefanski, but still looking for some more changes on the defense side of the ball. And if they make a move while we're talking coaching staff, if they make an internal move at quarterbacks coach, I'm going to be disappointed uh, that is an opportunity to bring in a fresh face with fresh ideas on an off season where they're making big changes or at least hopefully on that side of the ball. Yeah, that one will be interesting. I heard you and Jake Burns talk about that um, with the whole QB coach thing. Like I want them to bring in a fresh voice too. like, obviously Drew Petzig left. He's the offensive coordinator in Arizona now and congrats to him. I think he's really elevated his um he's climbed the ladder here the last couple of years on the Browns and now he gets a big shot out in Arizona. But if they give it to Van Pelt or if they give it to I think Chad O'Shea was mentioned as a potential option. I'm gonna be disappointed in that. DC like, McCartney was mentioned. Yeah, there's another one potentially, but like yeah, bring in a new voice, bring in somebody fresh, bring in somebody potentially that Deshaun Watson's worked with that he's comfortable with. I think the name Sean Ryan, who was his QB coach in Houston, he's out on the open market right yep. now. That would be a potential one. Um, James Urban, the QB coach out in Baltimore, could be had now that um, um, God, he was the OC here. I'm trying to. He's the OC out there now in Baltimore. Um, uh, Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin. Yeah, he's he might bring in his own guys to fill out this staff on the offensive side. And Urban's got a relationship with Stefanski. Um, if they did that, I think I'd be okay with. But bring in somebody from the outside. Don't give somebody from the inside Great. another another role. I just don't think that's the best fit. Um, the Browns also hired a new safety coach. On Tuesday, that was announced, uh, reported by ESPN's Pete Thamel, uh, Utah State defensive coordinator and safety coach. Ephraim Banda is now the Browns safety coach. Uh, he spent three, no, five years in Miami as a safety coach and also co-defensive coordinator for two years. And then in 2021, he took the Utah State defensive coordinator job. Uh, all the PFF metrics and everything, Brad said that Utah State's defense was pretty well under Banda's uh, coaching and leadership. So I don't know too much about him. I don't know if you've done any homework on him, but uh, this is an interesting hire. I, I it's an interesting hire. I don't know anything about him, right? I all the only thing I looked up I'm about perfectly honest is how to pronounce his first name as best <laughs> as possible, right? Uh I looked up uh Ephraim. I think it's Ephraim. Uh okay. but um or Ephraim or something. It's, it's something like that, right? Yeah. And uh 
I don't know. Uh, to be honest, I'm a little surprised uh, that they went to somebody that had never been in the NFL before because this staff strikes me or this front office has always kind of uh, hit me as a group that would not do that very often unless it's like a really special guy. So for some reason, they like him. Uh, I don't know what connection is there or I haven't been able to unearth it yet. I don't think anybody has. Uh, but I'm sure there is one or uh, somebody in the front office was like, hey, we need to look at this guy, right? He's doing a really good job here. If we can get him on the staff, that's great. He's looking to come into the NFL. He's doing a great job at Utah State. I'm sure this is somehow what the conversation went right. Like, And they were like, okay, review him. And great, we got a safety job. And, and th- that's what I'm looking for, right? Like, you know, not so much Ephraim, but – guys from the outside coming in to fill these roles. I would, I thought, you know, 30 years of a Schwartz Rolodex in the league, there would be plenty of guys uh, that he has coached with and, and would have relationships with to come in and fill these jobs. And, and it probably will happen to some degree at some point. Uh, Cause they have some plate, some, some jobs to fill on that side. Uh, D line DB coach, passing game coordinator. Uh, those, I think those will probably maybe be filled by Schwartz guys, I would hope. Uh, but um, interesting. I don't know anything about Ephraim, but pretty thought highly of him in, in that in uh, Berea for sure. Yeah, I will say one of the writers at Dogs by Nature did a big write-up on him. Um, the only thing I can see from here, uh, there is one connection between the Browns and okay. him, is that practice squad safety Bubba Bolden, uh, Banda coached him when they were at Miami together. So there's a one connection there. Um, and it also says that his style is aggressive, which Cleveland, it says in this article, Cleveland's secondary needs. You need, they need some more aggressiveness. So uh, we'll see what Banda brings to the table. Obviously he's coached a lot of safeties during his time. So uh, he'll go right into the safety room, which I think we all, we both expect to be some changes uh, in that room for sure this coming off season into the 2023 season. Yeah, they definitely, uh, or at least they should. Now we don't know what Schwartz is going to say about John Johnson and whatnot, but more, more than like if I had my, uh, you know, druthers, it would be uh, John Johnson would have played his last down as a Brown. Um uh, in my opinion, because he just doesn't fit what they want to do necessarily, unless you're going to use him as your third safety or whatever. Uh, uh, and he costs a lot of money, right? And uh, I think that's one way they can free up some money. I, I, you know, so I have you know, dreams of a certain scenario there, but I will, I will hold off on that for now. But, uh, you know, it, if he comes in and he's an aggressive coach and does his job, listen, you know, he's the DC Utah state coming to take a safety's job in the NFL. That I mean, I guess it's a pretty good hire, right? Like, you know, he's worked his way up to defensive coordinator. So that makes sense. I just, it's always struck me uh, that front office would be very like NFL uh, take all of their guys with front with NFL experience. So that, that surprised me a little, but uh, it's not like I'm down on anything. I have no reason to be. I have no knowledge of uh, Ephraim's, uh, you know, resume really, or or what kind of guy or coach he is. So I'm I'm sure that uh, uh, he will do a good job. 
Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to see how Schwartz uh, fills out the rest of the staff. Um, I hope they keep Tarver. Um, obviously, yeah. Howard and Kiffin are out the door as well as who knows what other assistants on that side of the ball will be out. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. The Browns have some more spots on the staff to fill up here uh, in the coming weeks. Hopefully, they get some things filled up before they head to Indy for the combine. But uh, there's still plenty of time before the team huddles back together in April to fill out the rest of the staff. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to discuss more Browns topics with Brad Ward. So we will be right back. Most of the time we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. Hello, I'm Neelai Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Brad and Brad, you know, I'm a big reader of the OBR, been a subscriber there for about a decade now or so. Um, the one. Well, thank you, you. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, I love you guys. Uh, you've always been good to me. Jack started at the Dogland with us uh, before he moved on to the OBR. Jake has been always been good to us, too. There's is a great crew over there. I love your guys's content. Um, but the one new thing that I think you guys have done this offseason that I really love is the free agency mocks. And I don't know whose idea that was. I thought it was a really great idea. Uh, and not only that, but you and Jack Duffin going through every room, talking about cap casualties, how you guys would fill the rooms in the off season. I think it's all great content that if you guys don't check it out already, go over to the orange and Brown report. It's great stuff. But Brad, the free agency mock, I thought was very fascinating. And you posted one on Saturday, which I thought was very good. Um, I don't know how in-depth you want to go on this, but talk to people about how you guys do the free agency mocks, uh, where you come up with the contract projections and everything, and maybe touch on a couple free agents that you have in mind that you think would be really great fits for the Browns uh, once free agency opens next month. Yeah, it's actually a, um, 
it's a really uh, interesting and worthwhile process to go through um, because of Jack's uh, elite ability with capology. Um, and, um, you know, me and him did the series this year where we literally did every position, every single free agent at every, sing- every single position, right? And then we each picked our three favorite uh at the end you know our wish list right uh but we literally went through every single position like all every free agent there is out there first and then this was kind of the end of that for me is my mock um and that exercise in itself was you know incredibly uh helpful but um I wanted to get creative, right? Like, and uh, we used try the best we could to use the real money here, right? You know, uh, with the projections from PFF seem to be the most accurate out of the gate. Although I respect all of the sites, SpotTrack and uh, Over the Caps projections, but they're a little bit different. Like Over the Cap does a valuation, which isn't really the same as like a contract projection. SpotTrack does a contract projection, but Mike Gennetti is very much like um here's our baseline like here's our uh if you hear him talk about it it's interesting he's like we know it's going to spit out this number this is the algorithm we have but like we do it like here's a baseline number followed by expert analysis on that number so like they adjust it with expert analysis after they get the the dry number right so like you know, markets here, this guy's going to go here. So it's probably a little higher than that. And that's where they, but it's interesting that he talks about it that way. Um, everybody has their own process, but PFF seems pretty accurate with a lot of this stuff, but they only do their top hundred. So uh, Jack did a lot of this stuff. And a lot of these guys end up being like league men to 1.5 to 2 million, if you're not making big contracts anyways. Right. So uh, my approach was this, like, Hey, we need to speed, speed on, on offense. And, um, I wanted to free up some cap space because I look at Bill, Bill Callahan as like such an edge to have him as a coach in the building and to turn around and spend the kind of money that the Browns are spending on the offensive line seems like a crime when you have him in the building. So I did a mock the trade of Wyatt Teller, um, for a third round pick, which is Jack's, uh, trade value for him. Um, it helps you get off of the 12 and a half million. You get the third round pick in return. Then you can keep all your picks this year. And then in my mock, I traded that third round pick for uh, Elijah Moore, who I like a lot. I uh, think would be a great fit kind of being uh, misused in New York and a little disgruntled. So that was my first move. Right. Um, and uh, the big trade piece of this, but um with the money that's freed up by that, you know, the 10 million that basically it's less than that this year because of dead cap, but the cash money is 12 and a half, right? So uh, that's the figure that everybody's going to look at. I won't get into the weeds with that stuff, but um, <laughs> he will, uh, you know, that frees up. Like initially I was going to like, the big thing is, is wide receiver for me. And so you take care of that with Elijah Moore and then defense, defensive front, right? And uh, they were got off the last year. So, you know, I don't think you take a big swing at a Deron Payne or a Hargrave or anybody like that because it's going to cost you $20 million. You know, first of all, 
the defensive tackle market is going to explode this year a little bit because you've got guys like Chris Jones, Quinnen Williams, and Ed Oliver all in extension positions. So not only the free agency group is good, but you've got business getting done this offseason as well in the extension area at that position. So you're going to see that market go up, right? And $20 million for these top guys is maybe even a little higher for some of the other ones, like, you know, Payne, Hargrave, and uh, are the top ones there, uh, you know, and then Draymond Jones now is getting up there. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see um, what happens with all these guys. But if you spend $20 million on that position, it's not like the Browns are one player away on the defensive tackle position, right? Uh, so, I said, you know, kind of, and it's a kind of Jack feels the same way and some other people do too, but you know, you kind of got to attack this with a couple different pieces. So mine in my mock, I mocked Anya Mata, who's uh, from uh, the saints. He's a very good pass rusher struggles a little bit in the run defense, but he better than the guys they have had there. Uh, so he would be six and a half million. He's a little younger. I did Sheldon Rankins, uh, or seven and a half million, pardon me. Rankins, I think, is six million projected APY. Uh, and then right there, you know, you've got what about 13, 14 million, and you've got two studs on your defensive tackle line instead of one player, right? You know, if he, you know, twists his ankle or whatever, right? You know, there goes 20 million dollars. So um, I also was gonna attack the edge position that way as well, because I don't think Alex Wright is ready uh for that. So I was going to kind of go too rotational. Like there's a group of edges that can play close to 800 to 1,000 snaps like Miles Garrett play the full load. And there's a bunch of edges out there who are really good who only play 500 snaps, right? You're, you're, you're kind of uh, situational rushers. And uh, I was kind of thinking like just get two situational guys and then with the three of those two and Garrett, that can adequately fill and i do still think that's the case and they may go that way but because of the 10 million that i freed up with the wyatt teller trade in my mock i went ahead and got arden key because i'm like here there's some extra money let's go ahead and get a full-time stud opposite miles and then i got my third edge rusher in dunlop uh carlos dunlap who is very good against the run and can get after the pass rusher uh as my third edge listen like when we talk alex wright I'll be honest, I liked his reps better when they kicked him inside uh, than than him on the edge. You know, when he gets out in space, it gets a little scary. Like, I, I, you know, some of the movement out in space worried me a little bit. He's a big dude. So we'll see what they do with him. I think you can find a spot for him. I'm just not sure if it's edge yet. I It, it could end up, for me, be like, uh, in your NASCAR third and long, maybe a situational pass rusher from the inside, uh, you know, but uh, he'll find his niche somehow. But, uh, you know, he's just such a big body uh, that I thought I kind of liked his reps better inside. Anyways, there I go again uh, out in the weeds. But um, so I mocked those guys to, to fix the defensive front. So it'd be Arden Key, Carlos Dunlap, Anyamata, and Rank. Because now that sounds like amazing, right? Like, yeah, it, it, that would be amazing. I don't expect all that to happen, but for what it's worth, the money does work with all this stuff, you know, uh, but I'm sure the, the, the problem is that there's 31 other teams looking at Anyamata rankings, Dunlap and key like, Hey, those guys would be great. Right. So uh, that's where you run into the problems. Um, I would fill uh, the trade for, for Teller 
you know, to elaborate that on that a little bit, like I like Wyatt Teller. I think he's a good player. Um, but his grades have dropped off uh, from the nineties to the eighties to the seven to 70 this year to the back half of this season, basically league average. Now he's still like the 16th ranked guard in the NFL. So like he still has some value, but like I watched him Jackson and you can tell me what you think, but like, he really struggled in pass protection in the second half of the year. Like it, 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 it made, it angered me. Right. Like, so he, he wasn't terrible, but he severely underperformed that 12 and a half million dollar contract. And that's kind of, kind of why I'm like ready to move him because I think if you wait a year to move him, like people, everybody's going to be like, yeah, no, we see who he really is now. Like he got two good years and got paid. Right. Like I'm afraid that if he doesn't bounce back, you're going to lose this opportunity where right now you can be like, yeah, there was a calf injury involved. He's still the same guy. And you might be able to get that third round pick back. What do you think of Teller? You think that's crazy to move off of him? No, I actually don't like the second half of 21 when he got the extension, he fell off. And I think COVID played a role in that. So you kind of give him a slide because you know, COVID it hits people differently and maybe it hit him bad. And then last year, second half, he had the calf injury, fell off again a little bit. Now, like you said, he's still grading as one of the top 16 guards in the league, which is still really good, but his numbers have dropped off significantly since his all-pro year in 2020. I'm with you. If the deal is right, if a third-round pick's on the table for him, wouldn't be mad about moving Teller because I trust Bill Callahan. Jack Duffin's been saying, and the numbers back it up, when Froholt played guard and Teller's absence, I'm not talking about when Froholt played at center, because when he played center, he showed he's not an NFL center. But when he played guard, his numbers were kind of similar to Wyatt Teller's. And Very Froholt's similar. making one and a half million projected in free agency. Teller's making 12 and a half or whatever the cap number is, I forget. So, yeah, if you can move him, this is why Bill, you got Bill Callahan, this is why you gave him an extension because he's one of the best offensive line coaches forever or in NFL history. You do not need to have four or five guys making 10 plus million dollars on that offensive line. You have Bill Callahan here. If you trust him in the development of guys, why not say, Hey, we can get something for Wyatt Teller. Let's move on. Let's clear some money off the, off the books so where we can, take that and spend it elsewhere. I think it's the best move for both sides. If a deal can materialize like that. Yeah. I don't know how realistic it is, but that's just kind of, you get it. My line of thinking, like I, I think Froholt did an admirable job trying to fill in at center, but he's a guard. And when he started at guard, he was pretty good. And uh, I think if you gave him and he got better with every game too, that he started. So I think if you gave him time there, with uh bill callahan he could just do an uh just a good job uh at maybe not just as good a job as teller but uh as good a job as he has been doing at least uh for the past you know whatever 20 games or something like that you know averaged out so that's the thought process there um deal from a position of strength right uh to try to get that wide receiver position real quickly some of the other mocks i did you know, they're going to need a running back for depth. I went with uh, Jeff Wilson Jr. because I like his speed. I like him out of the backfield. He's ran in the scheme before, both in San Francisco and in Miami, uh, the wide zone scheme. So um, Shanahan and McDaniels there. 
and then, you know, on the back end uh, of things, uh, I think that's the only thing I haven't talked about yet, right? I think, uh, uh, well, a linebacker, I, I added Denzel Perriman as depth. I really wanted to keep Taki Taki around, but he's going to miss most of this year. So uh, I'd rather spend, I think they could offer Taki Taki like an incentive laden two year deal uh, that paid him more on the back end, uh, you know, and um, kind of play for next year or late this year, whatever it is. Right. Uh, Cause I don't know exactly when he's going to be available with that injury because he proved to be more than just a Sam uh, linebacker last year. And I like, I would love to have him around, but the Browns, I don't think can afford to, you know, screw around with that. Uh, I think they need a guy that's ready to go right away. So Perriman's like 4 million a year. Uh, I think if you brought him in on like a one-year deal to compete with Walker or be there uh, to back up Walker, if he has injury issues again at middle linebacker, and then not, if not slide him over in your base packages, uh, I think he would improve the room a little bit. He's a veteran. He's coming off of one of his better years, uh, and he isn't going to break the bank. I mean, linebacker is just so cheap. It's crazy, right? Um, and then cornerback, uh, you know, I love the cornerbacks we have, but the problem is the slot issue. Uh, Isaiah Oliver, or any slot nickel, really, for that matter, but Oliver is one of the best ones out there, uh, is who I would add because – these guys are going to be hurt at certain times. Like Ward's going to miss a certain amount of games. Newsom's probably going to miss a couple games. Emerson might miss a couple games. And in that process, you, you just need to have a, a true nickel on your roster. Like we know that, you know, I don't know how Schwartz is going to handle it when they're all healthy. Uh, but, you know, Newsom doesn't want to play in the slot. He's made that very clear and really should have never started uh, to do that in the first place. Right. You know, they got him to agree to something that wasn't right for his career. And, and you know, Quincy uh, carrier was on uh, with me and he had me laughing so hard. He's like, you know, slot guys are guys that have to play slot because they can't play on the outside. Right. Like they have to stick their nose in there and tackle. If you're talented enough, like Newsom to play on the outside, you don't want to go inside and get dinged up and play the run every down, right? Like it's, it's guys that have to do that to survive. It's often UDFAs or fourth or fifth rounders that have to do that to stick around. So, uh, and that makes a lot of sense. And uh, he kind of got suckered into that. I'm surprised his agent even ever let him do it, to be honest, uh, because, you know, you make one fourth of what an outside corner makes on the inside. So right. he doesn't want to do that anymore for very good reason. And yeah. uh um, so I think you got to add somebody that at least does that as a true nickel so that, you know, when, when somebody's dinged, you're, there's no problem, right? Like you can just kick him outside and, and that solves the the issue a little bit, but not completely. And we'll see how Schwartz wants to handle that. Right. Um, and then at safety, I do think they need a free safety and, and uh, that post safety. And I think that I wanted Juan Thornhill when he came out in the draft. Uh, he's an absolute beast and stud. He wouldn't break the bank. He's like five and a half uh, million APY. Uh, he would be perfect for that role. That would be my dream scenario for safety. So him and Delpit back there. So that that's kind of the mock and a rundown there. Sorry if I took a long time giving you that, but uh, it's a... Uh, it's a fun uh, process. It came out to like 59.6 million, which is weird. Cause like 60 is like what they can free up with three restructures. Uh, and then, 
you know, they take the the other 10 million or seven to 10 million off for Teller this year. And it ends up being less than that, like more like 45 uh, million. So it's do it's very doable, but a lot of teams are saying, Hey, I want Thornhill. I want Arden key. I want, you know, all these guys. So of course, uh, but that's, uh, you know, go check out the article. It's, it's pretty cool. And, and check out all of the free agency mocks. It's a really cool exercise. Um, along the same lines, they're, you know, the smart people over there, but they're doing right now they're doing, uh, and I'm just writing the intros for it, but Jack is doing the, the cap part. Uh, Jake is doing the film part and Cody is doing the analytics part. And together they're coming up with uh, uh, through an algorithm, a score for probability of the Brown signing free agents. So it'll actually have a probability score on each free agent, which is really cool idea and uh, is coming out now. So. That's pretty awesome. Like, I can't wait to yeah. see that one for sure. Yeah. How much criticism did you get for suggesting the Browns trade Wyatt Teller, by the way? Uh, some, you know, some yeah. uh, people push back. You know, people love Wyatt Teller. His wife has done a lot for the city. Uh, he is a, uh, a favorite around here. Um, but I think people that have watched him lately, there's some people kind of like, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to defend 12 and a half million to a guy that, with a 70 PFF grade last year. Right. And, and you, you can point to the injury, which is still what people are kind of hanging on to. Right. Yep. And I hope that's the problem. And it, he bounces back. If he's going to be a part of this team, my whole thing is why pay all these guys, all this money when you have bill Callahan. And um, I think that like what happened with teller can happen with other players. And we've seen it happen with, uh, you know, this year with the center, right? Uh, Pochick, you know, yeah. guys come in having a career at this level and they get with Callahan and then now all of a sudden they're playing at this level. We've seen that happen multiple times. I don't think that's a fluke at this point. So lean into that, right? Find some, there's an advantage. There's an edge you have over other teams. Use the edge. I think that, you know, uh, that's just always a good philosophy in NFL football is wherever you have an edge, you need to shine a light on it, highlight it as much as possible. Absolutely, man. I think like Posick, like everybody thought he was coming in to be a backup, gets thrusted in because of Nick Harris's injury and then grades out as the top three center in the league. Like he's going to go get yeah. paid this off season. I'd love yeah. to see him stay in Cleveland, but the Browns just like right now they can't afford it. They can't afford yeah. to have, of, of stacked offensive line full of big contracts. Like it just can't happen right now. And it's, it's unfortunate, but Posick did well and he's going to go somewhere, get a nice payday and hopefully continue to flourish. And I mean, yeah, at the same time, like if you can move Teller, we seen what Callahan did with Michael Dunn, Blake Hans, Froholt, like the guy All has developed yeah. offensive linemen. Like it's going to work itself out for sure. Um, in terms of free agency, Brad, it's got a couple more questions. What's yeah. the one position that you think the Browns absolutely have to target in free agency and something that they can't wait for the draft? Like they have to fill the holes on that specific position in free agency. Tackle, defensive tackle, just because <clears throat> um, even like first round draft pick defensive tackles don't aren't ready right away. Like, uh, occasionally you'll get one that performs okay in their rookie year, but like, you know, especially even where the Browns are going to be picking, uh, you know, second round and beyond, 
it takes a while for defensive tackles bodies to change to get used to the NFL game. We've seen it with all the guys they've taken right um, in the past couple of years. Like it's a process for a lot of these guys. And like, you can't bank on a draft pick coming in and fit to fix that room. You have to go get a proven commodity there. In my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, they've invested in the room with middle round picks and one year deals and free agency. But like, I remember four yeah. or five years ago, we were saying interior defensive line needs addressed. It's yeah. been the Miles Garrett show. You had Clowney for a little bit, Sheldon Richardson for a little bit, Vernon for a little bit, but like it's been just Miles and there's like nobody else that could be a solid building block with him and they need to fix that. And hopefully in free agency, they can get a starter or two, like you suggested. I love the Anyamata and Rankins uh, suggestions in that room. I like Dalvin Tomlinson. It sounds like to Me too. the report today, it sounds like he's Minnesota's trying to find a way to keep him. If he makes it to the yeah. open market, I'd love to get him if the price was in a good spot. But yeah, they absolutely need to come away with at least one starting D tackle and hopefully they can find a way to get two. And but they need to address that room. That should be like their number one priority in free agency. Yeah, there's a number of them out there, too. There's like Puna Ford, I think I would yep. look at, you know, Ashawn Robinson, Greg Gaines, both Matt uh, Ioannidis. All those guys, I think, are worthy uh, starters, right, uh, and definite upgrades from what they have. So, like, there and there's even more names than that out there. So, um, you know, this process, it's not like there's a shortage of guys there. Like, it's actually a good year to be in the business of uh, of – uh, adding to your defensive tackle room via free agency, which is the only way the Browns should do it because they're in like a two-year win now window, and then they'll have to retool contract-wise. But like, uh, you know, as far as what you've committed to Conklin and, and so forth, and you know, the, the as it stands now, you know, the offensive line is in place for two years, right, or can be uh, if they want to extend uh, um, Jed. But, you know, that's how they've set it up, right? So it feels like a two-year go-for-it window. So I, I don't think you can bank on draft there, you know. And uh, you have to kind of hope that uh, things work out that way. Now, you know, edge is kind of in the same boat, right? Uh, but you can get an edge that they just haven't drafted well there or good enough there uh, where like you see like guys around the league last year, like Phillips and other guys who are, um, you know, making a, uh, a difference rotationally on their teams as rookies and second year players around the league off the edge. Um, you know, I hope Alex Wright can do that, but I just don't see it yet. Uh, he may be a guy that takes a couple of years to find his niche and, and, so that I, I'm kind of concerned that I think they need to be aggressive there as well, especially uh, what we know about Schwartz's scheme, right? And, and how much it depends on getting home with four guys. And uh, so you can't be trotting out, you know, some 65 edge, you know, that's just going to do whatever, right? It, it needs to be a, you need to have somebody that can get after the quarterback out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like Schwartz has probably said, like, we need to get some legit guys on that defensive front alongside Miles, 
or this isn't going to work. And I think Schwartz has enough of a presence and command to where Barry and those guys know, and Barry and Schwartz worked together for a year in Philly. He knows I got to get some dogs in here to give him what he needs to succeed uh, to hopefully get the Browns back into the playoffs and hopefully at a Super Bowl down the road as well. Think about how lucky they got with McDowell that one year on the interior, right? Like that was like a total flyer shot on a guy with a ton of upside, but you know, the, the history off the field and he behaved himself, played really well for a guy that year, you know, he sustained the middle of that defense that year. And then he gets in trouble in the off season, but like, uh, it kind of, it helped them a ton, but it also did them a disservice because I think they would have learned earlier that they didn't have the guys, the horses, right? Yeah. But he kind of masked that for a year. So him and Malik uh, Jackson, it, both, they like masked it that last it, it, season, exactly two seasons yeah. ago. Now it was, yeah, hopefully they do address it this off season. Cause we know yeah. it's a definite priority. Last yeah. topic I want to go over with you, Brad, and I don't know if yeah. you've seen this on Twitter today. So obviously Jedrick Wills has been very, very, very subject to criticism and some of it's deservingly. So, I mean, he has not certainly, he hasn't performed up to being the 10th pick in the draft back in 2020. Um, So Tuesday night, which Mary Kay actually dropped it on sports for CLE on Tuesday, which you were on right after her. I was on after that, that the Browns were going to pick up the fifth year option on Jedrick Wills. That started a hot, hot topic. And then Taylor Lewan, who's been with the Titans for nine years, he gets released. And immediately there is Browns fans going, the Browns need to go <laughs> get Taylor Lewan. He's better than Jedrick Wills. Not realizing that Taylor Lewan's had two ACL injuries in the last three years. He's in his early 30s. He's already talked about retiring. But the Brown, there's Browns fans that, I don't know if they look at Madden ratings or they look at PFF grades, but they're not watching. <laughs> And seeing yeah. that Taylor Lewan is not the Taylor Lewan of three or four years ago. He's broken down. He can't stay healthy. He's just not the same guy. But the right. whole thing about Jedrick Wills and the fifth year option and do the Browns pick it up. I originally I thought, don't pick it up. You guys can find somebody else at offensive tackle. Bill Callahan's a great coach, this and that. They pick up that up that fifth year option it's 14 and a half million or so and he's going to be like middle tier offensive tackle pay i'm okay now with them picking it up because they're not going to find anybody better right now they could find someone in the middle rounds of the draft and it could be a steal but right now they're not finding anybody and do i need to remind people spencer drango greg robinson desmond harrison those were the three Seriously. left tackles in between Joe Thomas's career ending and Jedrick Wills coming to Cleveland. Go back and watch those games and tell me that Jedrick Wills is as bad as some people are making him out to be. Like, yes, he's been inconsistent. Yes, I question his desire and ability and, and some of his abilities, but he ain't as bad as those guys. And that left tackle position was bad in between Joe Thomas and Jedrick Wills. I think the thing that that irks people the most is the effort stuff, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it it's uh it's it's infuriating, right? Like a lot of times he gets caught just standing there watching his quarterback get sacked, or standing there watching his quarterback run all over the field. It's like look for work, bro. Look for work. 
find somebody, put a body on somebody, do you know what I mean? Like, and I think that's what bothers people the most. Like, and uh, it's a good reminder that like I get caught up in it too, but like a good reminder that Jake sometimes says to me when we're, we're podcasting, right? Like, is like there's a misnomer across the NFL, Jackson, that there is a certain level of uh, offensive line play that's readily available that in reality is not there. Like there's not enough guys good enough to fill out good offensive lines across this league. There just isn't. So like to get a guy at average offensive line play, you kind of have to value because unfortunately there just aren't enough guys that can do it. Right. Um, So he's 24. You took, you invested in him. I think that it would be a mistake to not see the five years through. Um, and uh, he guarantees you a certain level of play. Uh, like, right. It's not, it might be outstanding at some point. It's not right now, uh, but it's not as bad as it could be as you, to your point, the names you, you, you gave between him and that. like there is bad offensive line play all over this league. Right. Uh, there are a lot of teams that would love to have Jed Wills as their left tackle right now, uh, even at the level he's been playing. So with that in mind, from a, you know, 5,000 foot view of the league, helps you understand why a little bit more right and um the contracts changing too across the offensive line what left tackles are getting paid now 14-5 is not it sounds terrible but it's really not that epic of a number to pay for one year i'm not saying extend the guy i'm saying see it see it out and then make a decision on him at the end of that fifth year um, but at least keep him around, uh, for this next two year window. Right. Um, that's kind of what they have to be thinking. I, I'm not saying like, that's what I'm thinking. I, I do feel that way. Uh, but like, I think that's the way they're looking at it and it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think now you said two year window, they extended Conklin, which is pretty much for the next two years. Batonio and Teller are here for the next two years, barring any trades or potential retirement with Batonio because he's coming up on year 10. Um, and then like next year, it'll be interesting with four guys making over $12 million, hypothetically, if when they pick up Wills's option. All yes. those guys except the center are gonna be making over $12 million. Like that's gonna yes. force the Browns' hands to make a change. I think they just need to see it through with Wills. You said he's 24 years old. Callahan still praises him. Joe Thomas praises him. Yeah. There, there's something missing. I think it's it's the drive, the hustle out of Wills. You know, I, I call it the desire. Does he want to be a good football player? Does he want to be a great football player? Or is he is he content being average at this point? Like, what's what's missing there with him? Because I think he's got the talent. Like, I think he's got the talent to be a great offensive tackle. It's just what's that missing link in him right now? That's but I also think at the same time, Brad, I think Browns fans we're expecting Joe Thomas level play when the Browns drafted Wills <laughs> at 10. And it's like, 
Joe Thomas is a first ballot Hall of Famer. He gave up 30 yeah. sacks and 10,363 snaps. If yeah. you were expecting the next Joe Thomas walking through that door, I don't know what you guys were taking on draft night, but Wells <laughs> was never going to be the next Joe Thomas. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're right about that. Um, he's kind of set up to fail in that, in that manner. Uh, but you know, like you're saying, some of the criticism is valid. It's just, you have to realize that there's just not a lot of guys out there that can even do what he's doing, despite, you know, the letdown you want more out of a guy you draft that high. And I get that. Um, but what you're getting may have to be good enough for now. Yeah, definitely. We'll we'll see how it shakes out with Wills and we'll see what the Browns do going from that point forward. Brad, thank you so much for the time, man. Always appreciate chatting uh, and talking football with you. Go ahead and plug where you, where people can find you on social, plug your podcast and plug your work at the OBR. Yeah. Uh, thank you, man. Uh, you know, you do a great job, Jackson, you fantastic work. And, uh, uh, I know you're working with Jared now and, you know, I have a real long time relationship with Jared too. So, uh, you guys are doing a great job. So, uh, thanks for having me on, man. I had a blast to just talking ball with you. Uh, great show and, uh, had fun. Yeah. Go to the OBR. Check out everything we're doing there. Tomorrow night, I'll be on uh, the OBR uh, channel, uh, Twitch or YouTube uh, with Jack Duffin at 7 p.m. Actually, it will be my guest. So we'll be doing a kind of a uh, free agency deep dive into a lot of the, some of the stuff we kind of skimmed through tonight. Uh, so check that out. And uh, you can listen to All Eyes on Cleveland, where all popular podcasts are found. And you guys can follow me on Twitter at Jack McCurry zero eight. Be sure to like, and subscribe to dogs by nature, wherever you guys get your podcast to check out not only the dog land podcast, but also the dog's table. Uh, And until next time, Browns fans, as we get on out of here, as always go Browns. This episode was supported by Reddit for business. You want the right attention for your business, but you don't know where to get it. It should be a place where people actually take the time to engage with your ads. Why not try Reddit? They seem to have the whole engagement thing down pat. With over 100,000 communities, Reddit users are some of the most active online. Meet your potential customers where they feel most at home, with 90% of users trusting Reddit to learn about new products and brands. Just go to redditforbusiness.com vox to learn more.